and welcome back to the In Publishing podcast after our summer break. Our guest today is Joe Adams, Marketing Director at The New Scientist. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Acorn Web Offset, the Yorkshire-based specialist A5 and A4 magazine printer. With high-speed web offset and sheet-fed printing, together with in-house saddle stitching, perfect binding and mailing services, Acorn can cope with the most demanding of production turnarounds. Acorn prides itself on its efficiency and low-cost print production. For more information, visit acornweb.co.uk. Joe Adams has been the Marketing Director of The New Scientist for the past two years. At this year's PPA Awards, her team was named Team of the Year and the judges praised them for their cross-brand collaborations, fresh new campaigns and key data insights, leading to an impressive subscription turnover. Joe, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Can we begin by um, asking you to talk us through your career to date and then your current role and responsibilities? Yes. Uh, so I have worked in subscriptions marketing for 21 years now. Um, I started my career at the BBC uh, and I was there for uh, seven years. Uh, I started as a subscriptions assistant um, and it was a stopgap role for me initially. Uh, I wanted to move on to a graduate plan within retail. Um, however, I was hooked um, as soon as I joined BBC, apart from being a fantastic company. I also really enjoyed subscriptions marketing, uh, largely the um, an analytical side. Uh, and I stayed there for seven years. Uh, after BBC, I moved to Hearst and did a couple of years there. Then I moved on to TSL Education. So it was quite different from moving to multi-brands to just one or two. Um, I was there for a few years and then moved on to Bauer. Um, and I had lots of brands at Bauer. By the time I left, after four years, there was 70 brands that I was looking after. Um, wow. And then I did a small, small uh, few months consultation with The Spectator. And then from there, I've moved on to New Scientist. Um, so I have worked for a number of uh, publishers um, and lots of wonderful brands. Um, and now I'm at New Scientist. So I am part of the senior leadership team there. Uh, and I am responsible for all marketing um, at New Scientist, which is quite different for me as most of my uh, career has been spent just focused on subscription. Um, but now I'm responsible for brand marketing and also the other products that we have. Um, so events, tours, holidays, um, and we've recently launched a shop. Um, so I am lucky that I've continued to, to learn over my 21 years. Well, can I just take you back and ask what have been the key learnings you've taken away from some of the other publishers you worked for before The New Scientist? Well, subscriptions within the other publishers, um, kind of, it's, it's varied in terms of level of uh, uh, importance and so forth, interest and support. Uh, largely, I've been lucky to work for some really inspiring people. Uh, their common denominator has been data-driven insight. Um, and this is something that stuck with me throughout my career. You're constantly asking questions, striving to find the answer in, in a complex world. Um, the kind of key thing for me is, is lifetime value. Um, that's something that's evolved over years. Um, 
in my first role at the BBC, um, I was working with an American uh, lady who talked about lifetime value all the time because the States were always much further ahead than the UK in subscriptions. Um, and so lifetime value is something uh, that has stuck with me as well as data-driven insight. Great, great. And you've worked for, as you say, multi-title um, publishers, 70 brands is, is a lot at Bauer, and now you're with a single title publisher. In terms of how you do your job, how do they compare? Well, the challenge remains the same. Um, you have a lot of plates that you have to keep spinning. Um, you're balancing revenue, yield and volume. What I found with multi-title particularly is it's challenging around generally not having enough people when you have so many brands. So you have to compromise. So there tends to be with multi-brands conflicting priorities. So they're not always focused on subscriptions. And so you may see the opportunity that you could grow a publication, but they're not necessarily interested in, in growing volume because the focus is on yield, for example, and there are no advertising benefits from having, you know, big subscription bases. Um, and right. then you'll have other brands where you need the volume um, because that's what drives the um, advertising revenues. And so it's it's making sure that you give the right focus um, and have the right strategy for for each of those brands. But the challenges are are the same. You know, you are balancing the volume, the yield and the revenue across all of the brands that you work for. Yeah. Okay. So coming to the new scientist, um, how important are subscriptions and how has subscription marketing evolved um, over the last two decades? And, and where are you today? Uh, well, subscriptions is the largest revenue generator for the business. So it, it's a main focus for us. Um, 70, 75% of the revenue comes to customer revenue. Um, so it's really, really important. Um, and everyone in the business um, knows our subscription KPIs. Um, we share them uh, across the business. Um, I think over the past two decades, newsstands used to be king, and we know that that channel has been declining for a number of years. And so subscription teams have had to expand their marketing expertise. And we now, subscription marketers, are analysts and they are channel experts. There has been a decline in kind of the generalist role um, and there is much more emphasis on understanding the analytics that, that drive your conversion. Uh, so I think right, it's a very, very right. different breed that's evolved um, over the last two, two decades. And digital marketing is our number one channel, um, followed very closely by email. So you have right. to understand the data um, and first party data uh, to make sure that you are maximizing the opportunities um, and, and conversion. Well, this this question might be covering the same territory, but um, this year your team won Team of the Year at the PPA Awards. What specific things contributed to your winning formula? So I kind of put this down to um, expert file management, the data-driven insight and a test and learn mentality. Um, we are very focused on strategic priorities and we have three main strategic priorities at the moment, which is driving up yield reducing churn and then customer experience. So analysis right. is the beating heart of the marketing department. Um, we have KPIs for everything we do and we monitor the data and we act upon what the data is telling us. Um, so that's why I just analytics is so important for, for, for my department. It's the beating heart. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Um, and um, are there campaigns that particularly stand out for you from the last year? Um, you've mentioned email. What what has worked best? So what really stands out for me this year is the uh, agility and the response to the COVID situation. Um, right. We um, set out, obviously, in very unprecedented times uh, where we were in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and, you know, how do you respond to that? Making sure that your customers are able to access your content um, meant that we were changing on a daily basis. Um, and we stepped up our campaign marketing um, around COVID um, in that you trust the data, you trust the science, and we are the publication that you should be reading. Um, we were lucky enough to be offered a slot on the daily briefing with um, Matt Hancock. And right. Matt Hancock uh, handed us a ready-made marketing campaign when he said that he knew he would get tough questions from the new scientist. So the briefing was Great. around five, six o'clock at night. So we jumped on that. Um, and the following day, we launched our tough questions campaign. Um, and we took the cut of the briefing. We embedded it into our email marketing and our online marketing. Um, and we pushed that out. Um, so being agile um, within a very difficult time, um, I think we've, we've really had quite an outstanding performance from the marketing team during the pandemic. And can I ask a bit more about your approach to COVID-related news? Um, am I right in thinking that you have made um, the, the sort of basic COVID news free um, and has interest in the science behind the pandemic conversely been good for business? Yes, um, I would say that our coverage has been the best in the UK. Um, we have given the news related content for free, but more in-depth pieces are behind the paywall. Um, and that has served us really well during the pandemic. Um, our new subscriptions are up 32% year on, um, on target. Um, and we have not uh, followed a... Um, a trial strategy as such. We've maintained our pricing and in fact, in some cases, we've increased our prices. Um, so we really believe in, in the content that we are producing and that people will pay for it. Um, and that has been, you know, proven with the fact that we are 32% up on our new subscriptions target. I was going to ask, you operate a hard paywall on the New Scientist website. Can you talk us through the logic of that? Um, it's 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 nothing um, kind of spectacular, really. It's more that we believe in our content and that people will pay for it, and that's yeah. proven. So the pay, hard paywall was introduced. Um, I think it was towards just before my time, um, towards the end of two thousand and seventeen. Um, and whilst when we first um, put the paywall up we did see a small drop in conversion. But as our marketing has matured um, and we are using content marketing more and more, we have seen that people will pay for our content. Um, so we have no, no plans to, um, to change the hard paywall, although we are looking um, to evolve a more flexible uh, paywall as we start to um, drive and grow internationally. So what's right for the UK as such is not necessarily right for the for the US market. We don't have the same brand awareness in the US. And so we are uh, looking to introduce more flexibility um, overseas. Um, but the logic is, you know, we, we believe in our content and that people will pay for it. Have you learned any lessons from COVID? Um, has giving the news aspect for free then encouraged readers to 
pay for the more in-depth content? And is that a lesson you might take away? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, there is. A, it seems to be that the UK appetite for um, for COVID-related news is insatiable. We have um, a, a significant increase in traffic to our COVID pages, um, and we are still continuing to see uh, high conversion rates um, against the content. Um, certainly within within the UK, um, and so. As we evolve our content marketing, we are looking at more analysis um, into the other content areas that we cover um, and then creating more personalised journeys, um, introducing more content to our readers, um, not just through email, but also on site. And your pricing is set to encourage consumers to take up the print and digital bundle, I think. Is that right? Yes. So with the um, COVID pandemic, we took the decision to remove print only from our offering. Um, So we gave all of our uh, legacy print subscribers access to the digital content so they could access the app as well as the website. Um, And we stopped selling the print because we were really concerned about delivery. Um, And so um, we have recently run some analysis to see whether or not the removal of print only has impacted our um, overall conversion um, and whether or not we have pushed people to take digital subscriptions. And actually, it's the opposite. We've had a significant increase in people taking bundles. So print is still very, very important to our readers. They like the print, but they're happy to pay for the bundle subscription. Right. And for other publishers considering setting up a paywall, what, what are the key do's and don'ts from your perspective? Um, you have to understand uh, what your customers are reading um, you, and you set the paywall accordingly. So you, if you use the data um, to ascertain the, the best paywall for you, um, and it might be that you need a flexible paywall, it might be that it's just a soft registration. Um, it depends on um, your uh, bounce rates. You know, if you only have, if you have a lot of traffic, but they are only reading one article, um, before they bounce, then you know having a, a hard paywall or um, a metered access set at three articles means it's doomed to fail from the beginning. So you yeah. need to understand the data and then set it accordingly. But the most important thing is to test and learn. You have to adapt right. and continually evolve the strategy um, because, as we have seen, what works for the UK may not necessarily work for the for the US or you know Europe. So you have to be able to um, be very flexible and uh, adapt your approach um, where it's needed. And can you talk a bit more about the analytics? You've you've mentioned them um, and the PPA judges praised your team for your key data insights. Can you talk a bit more about what what those metrics are and how you use them? Um, yeah, we have lots of data um, that we monitor. Um, so all roads for us lead to the website. Um, so we continually monitor the funnel. So who's coming into the top of the funnel from the different regions, the content that they're reading, whether they're reading free content, um, how many people are hitting the barrier, um, the articles that are converting. Um, this is all on a weekly basis. We have a dashboard where we um know exactly what is converting 
Um, yeah, we have channel targets as well. So um, the emails that we send out, we have newsletters um, as well as uh, campaign marketing. So we monitor them as well. Um, and the KPIs for those are the kind of obvious in terms of open rates, click through rates and then conversion. Um, yeah, we have um, retention um analytics uh, we uh, have been lucky to work with um, a company called foresight who have built some incredible reports for us monitoring our retention and we're able to monitor um regions packages payment methods um and tenure and we yeah. use this analysis on a regular basis to feed our strategic priorities uh so for example yeah. um we we, we built a subscription bridge and the subscription bridge looks at how many subscriptions did we have at the beginning of the year? How many customers have we generated that are new? How many of those have churned based on one year, two year and three year? And how many subscriptions do we have at the end of the year? So we know that year one churn is, is, is quite high. Um, and so that is a strategic priority for us, which is linked to customer engagement. So if we can reduce our churn by 10%, um, that would net us a good couple of thousand more um, on our file. So that is something that we, will, we are focusing on, on how do we improve engagement and how do we reduce churn? Um, and, we, and we are so many variables that we, um, we monitor, but largely the traffic to the site and the conversion, and then how they churn over time and interventions that we can um, introduce to uh, increase customer engagement and then therefore in turn improve retention rate. And can you mention any of those um, strategies? Uh, so onboarding um, is something that we are working on at the moment um, and uh, we have introduced uh, a seven effort onboarding campaign for our new subscribers. Um, and that is a mix of uh, welcome pack, which is a physical pack that's delivered to customers that tells them all about them, what the new scientist has to offer um, on top of the, you know, already wonderful content. Um, we have puzzles, podcasts, um, events, holidays, uh, shop, um, uh, and we introduce our customers to uh, all of the things that the new scientist offers. Um, we send email communications, uh, which are then based around the content. Um, we uh, give them um, surprise and delight where we will give them a discount, you know, 10% voucher code to buy something from the shop. Um, and uh, we are just about to launch subscriber only events as well. Um, and um, we also use push notifications to let people know that there are issues on their way. Um, and that's just some of the things that we've introduced um, from April. Right, right. So a, a lot of stuff. What What is the division of time, do you think, between um, your team's focus on subscription renewal and new acquisitions? Oh, it's 50-50. Uh, it's um, so right. I have right. a, head of, a head of customer experience um, who is the voice of the subscriber. Um, and then we have a head of campaign marketing um, who is focused on our acquisition marketing. Um, but the uh, the three of us work very closely um, and uh, retention <clears> or <throat> customer experience knows exactly what's happening with um, acquisition and acquisition know exactly um, how customers are being retained. Um, and so there is a balancing act between 
uh, new subscribers, how many of those are trial, how many of them are full page, the packages that they're taking, um, uh, so that we do not generate too many new subscriptions that have a high propensity to churn. So we work right. very, very closely as a team, um, and um, uh, it's it's an it's an equal split. Right. You've mentioned events. How have they been impacted by COVID? Um, but it sounds like you're optimistic for the future. How do you see events um, taking place in the future? Yeah, so um, it's really sad, actually, the events industry, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. it's, it's really, really sad. We have an amazing show that happens once a year. It's a four-day festival of science. Um, we've had over 40,000 people visit the event over the last couple of years. Um, and it's as you know, we're not we're not able to do that this year. We've postponed it until next year. Um, and we also launched this year a number of one-day events um, and evening lectures. Um, and they were really well received at the beginning of the year. And so, of course, we can no longer do them. So during the pandemic, we um, tested a virtual event, uh, which was off the back of one of our um, instant experts, um, and they have been really well received so the first one we did for free and that was just to test the platform and then yeah. we are now running paid for events um, and we have two or three a month um, and we have got global audience um, and it is working really well so we just see that these will evolve over time and we will continue to do um, virtual events but what we are also exploring um, is uh, uh, weekend events so where you can have a mini break which is linked to a subject um, and that's something that uh, we are working on now um, we haven't launched them yet but we are just gauging appetite um, so people can register their interest in the in the weekenders as we're calling them and, and will those be virtual or will they be physical events they will be physical right okay um so, you, so you're optimistic that that's going to be possible again going forward? Yes, yeah, yes yeah, I do. Um, I mean, it will be into next year. Um, and I think the the work that we have done with the virtual events means that we can monetize virtual events. Um, and so I, I do believe that there will be a mix. We will continue with virtual events, um, but we will also have a number of, um, of slightly, slightly different um, uh, physical events in the future. Right. You said recently that your team plays an active part in product development within the company, and you've just touched on that in talking about events. Um, I wondered if you could tell me a bit more about that and, and how you work with product development. And do you think that's unusual for the marketing team to be involved in that way? Yes, I mean, certainly um, in my experience, I found that people in subscriptions tend to have a seat at the table, but not always a voice. Um, and what's very different um, in New Scientists is that we have a very innovative leadership team um, and we talk constantly um, about future strategies. Um, so we try not to be too involved in the operational side of things, um, although that does take up some of our time. But we do spend a lot of time talking about the, the future um, and constantly evolving. So we have a strategic pyramid of which the customer sits at the top of the pyramid and marketing is the voice of the customer. 
Um, and so everything we do, um, there is a there is a marketing voice there just checking in to um, you know make sure that uh, all of the initiatives that are being considered around the business have the customer at the top um, of their pyramid. Um, and that's really unusual. Um, I think there's only one other company that I am aware of um, that has a, a chair for the customer in their meetings. And I think that's News International. Um, I, right. I've, I've, they have a chair, which is, you know, is, it might be an empty chair, but it is the customer uh, that sits in the room when they're making decisions. Um, and we as marketing team are the, are the voice of the customer. Um, and so that's why we are always included in the, the conversations around product development um, and so it, it is quite unusual great great what about social media how important is that to subscriber acquisition uh, so s- social media for us um, is uh, one of our uh, largest prospecting channels um, so what I mean by that um, is that we uh, run a lot of social media activity around Facebook um, on lookalike audiences. Um, and this is the only place where we really offer trial subscriptions. Um, so um, we work with a fantastic agency um, uh, called Rocket Mill. Um, and they, they've worked with me now for, through Bauer um, through to New Scientist, um, and they're probably one of the best agencies um, that I've ever worked with. Um, they give us strategic advice um, and they help us evolve the, the digital marketing um, for our business, but it's our top channel. Um, we spend quite um, a lot of our budget on uh, search marketing as well. Um, but social media is more around the prospecting, introducing customers to the content and then taking them on the journey to become uh, paid for customers. And what do you mean by lookalike? So you have um, uh, customers now um, who are purchasing your subscribe, uh, purchasing your subscriptions. Um, and so you can take your data um, and you can load that into um, Facebook and it will give you a number of lookalikes. Um, so that's right. people who may have shown an interest in science content. They may have visited your site once. Um, they may be of the same age demographic um, or in the, uh, the, the same region um, or state in America, for example. Um, and, um, and then they create um, a lookalike audience of which you then share uh, the sponsored ads with them. Right, right. Have you had much experience of artificial intelligence and how do you see that evolving? Um, so, so AI is an interesting one. Um, it's, um, I would say it's limited in an automated sense um, because um, we, we don't necessarily have the um, systems that allow us to be uh, automated and the, and the machines take over as such. Um, uh, however, um, it is something that we are talking about um, internally and certainly where we see um, uh, the marketing evolve um, because we've got a lot of complex data that at the moment um, we kind of have to churn through um, and interrogate to come up with answers. Um, I I believe that humans still need to ask the right questions. I'm not sure the machines ask the right questions. Um, But for us to be able to effectively manage the churn um, and the the complex data and then make decisions, um, I think as we move into a a more mature um, 
uh, marketing department over time where automation and personalization um, uh, becomes the, the beating heart, um, then that's certainly, I think, the future for my marketing team, um, but also our business. Yeah, yeah. And you've mentioned the shop. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we launched um, the New Scientist shop. Um, I th- oh, I think it may have been towards the end of last year. Um, and this uh, was born out of um, uh, an interest in customers wanting to purchase back issues and um, uh uh, the collection we have a, a bookazines called the collection um yeah and uh, there was interest in purchasing those also at our um live event we set up a mini shop where we sell our books and then we had things like you know mugs and cups and t-shirts etc yeah um and they have a tendency to do really well so rather than only sell products and, and, and merchandise at the shops we just thought well would we would try the shop um and it's actually working really well for us um books and and back bookazines are the um biggest revenue generator for us um and you know i'm not talking groundbreaking revenue here yeah um but um it's still an additional revenue stream that we didn't have um this time last year um and we are branching out to look at um alternatives i mean we've tried branded chili bottles and mugs etc um that have not necessarily been as well received as the content um our our customers tend to just really like our content and and want more of it um but we are starting to explore things like subscription boxes um as well um and so i think that that will just be something that will evolve even more over time great great so where next for your team your subscriptions and marketing team uh, automation and personalization. Um, those are the uh, strategic uh, priorities for us moving forward. Um, growing first party data um, and for us to make sure that we give our customers um, the, the experience that they deserve um, and surfacing more content that they are interested in um, means that we have to get better. Um, at the personalization and um, automation. So that means that the the data and the platforms that we are using um, uh, need to evolve. Um, so that is definitely um, a, a key focus for us. Um, and we will continue to develop and test new new MPD um, yeah. and international growth. Um, I think we've done a very good job in the UK um, and now we need to uh, turn our focus to um, international growth. So we have just um, embarked on a test plan um, in the US where we are, um, we've launched um, two days ago, um, we launched um, a prospecting campaign, a digital prospecting campaign, um, and that will run for three months um, and we will test and learn over the next three months with a view to roll out in October. Um, And then we are just starting to explore our rest of world territory. Um, We have a lot of traffic that comes from overseas. Um, 45% of our traffic is from the US. So we need to do a better job of converting that traffic. Um, And and by that, we, we need to grow brand awareness there. 
And how, how are you planning to do that? Do you have a US office at the moment? What What are your um, thoughts on that? So we have um, US reporters um, and um, we have a US edition. Uh, a couple of things that we're doing, first of all, is just testing the digital um, campaign to see if we can improve the brand awareness. Um, we are also looking to um, research our um, lapsed customers and our existing uh, US customers to understand whether there's an appetite for more localized content. Um, and if there is, then we will look to expand um, and produce more localized content within our US um, edition. We have an Australian edition as well, so the same goes hand in hand there. Um, so um, those are the kind of the, the key things at the moment is that understanding, um, asking questions, and then using that learning to develop the product. Great. Finally, what magazine, apart from The New Scientist, do you read for pleasure? What do you most like about it? And how do you read it, print or digital? So my guilty pleasure is actually the Sunday Times. <laughs> um, okay. I, uh, so it's not so much a magazine. I do dip in and out of um, The Economist and The Spectator. Um, they, it's, it's a timing uh, issue more so with them. Um, there's a lot of content to consume and I find that I can never get through, um, you know, a, a, a copy. Um, but I do yeah. have print copy delivered. Um, but my real guilty pleasure is the Sunday Times. It's a Sunday morning read. Um, I just, I think it's generally well written. And I think that I always think I'm never going to get through the entire broadsheet when actually there's always something really interesting to grab me on the on the next page. Um, and so I just really, really like um, uh, the paper. And I read the print because I enjoy the lean back experience. Um, there's so much noise digitally. Um, my inbox is constantly pinging uh, with various newsletters. Um, and I just I just like the peace and quiet of a Sunday morning read. Um, and that's my that's my guilty pleasure. Great. Joe Adams, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. Thank you very much for having me. A big thank you again to Acorn Web Offset for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a new magazine printer, then check out their website at acornweb.co.uk or contact Matt Carey on 07714 299 105 or by email at matthew.carry at acornweb.co.uk. Thank you to Joe for being our guest this week. You can find out more about New Scientist at their website, newscientist.com. Last year, we published a specialist guide on renewal strategies for publishers, written by Julian Thorne. For more information, check out the guide section at inpublishing.co.uk. If you'd like to get in touch with us, then email editorial at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and please join me next week on the In Publishing podcast.